Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Black soldiers first put their boots to soil for service in the late 1700s following the Emancipation Proclamation. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Among those soldiers were barbers, boatmen, and carpenters. Even fathers and sons were enlisted together. A quarter of them, black soldiers from slave states. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. As wars were fought, black soldiers made advancements for not only the country, but for the culture. From the Buffalo Soldiers to the Tuskegee Airmen and the countless number of groups in between, we honor and thank you. This is for the black soldier, a fight for freedom and respect. His truth is marching on. Hey, Soulmates, thank you so much for joining us for this special Memorial Day edition of Fox Soul's Black Report. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelia Corte. We are honored to sit behind this desk and bring to you the Black Soldier, the fight for freedom and respect. We're gonna bring you our news, our views, and our voice. You know, May is a national month for several causes, but today we recognize May as National Military Appreciation Month. And this Memorial Day, we are honoring not just the countless lives lost, but also the ones still living, carrying on the legacy of our fallen ancestors. We're going to take an in-depth look at groups like the Buffalo Soldiers, the 6888 Battalion, and the legendary Tuskegee Airmen. And speaking of the Tuskegee Airmen, they were the first fighter pilot squadron made up entirely of black aviators. And right here in Detroit, we are blessed to have a national museum honoring these American heroes. They're holding a special event for their organization and you, Soulmates, can help support. That's right, our friend Josh Landon from Fox Detroit shares more. Yes, we are at the city airport on the choice east side where you had the museum honoring, teaching the history of the Tuskegee Airmen. And this is a great opportunity, a great place to learn about aviation and find a career. I'm joined by Dr. Brian Smith, the president of the Tuskegee Airmen National Museum. Hello to you, Dr. Smith. Good morning to you, Josh. Thanks again for being in our museum. Hey, it's always a pleasure to come here. Believe it or not, this museum has been here at the city airport since 2007, but also believe it or not, a lot of people still don't know. That's correct. This is a very unique museum in that we look backward to the history of the Tuskegee Airmen, we stand on their shoulders and point young people to the future and the jobs that they can have in aviation and aerospace science. Right on. And we are here right now because something is happening tonight to get more people involved. Yes, we're trying to get uh, the business leaders in Detroit to come out and see what we're doing here and hopefully they'll invest in the youth in the city of Detroit help us prepare them for their careers in aviation and aerospace science. Mm, what's uh, the name of tonight's event? It's called Perseverance, a look at the history of the Tuskegee Airmen and their perseverance in the face of the enemy as well as racism here at home. Okay, with look with the effort to get more youth involved, you are in aviation, you teach it, You've, you're in it, you know all of the ins and outs is the bottom line, but you're getting a lot of pressure from the industry. More youth need to get involved. A lot of opportunity that's not being taken advantage of at the moment. That's correct. I'm being approached by the major airlines, even the military, and the historically black colleges that actually have aviation programs send me students. Mm. The Air Force and military are asking for potential pilots, even airplane maintainers. They're looking for people because the airlines are actually sucking up all of the available pilots, paying them um, 
you know, six-figure salaries, probably at the end of his career, $500,000 a year. Wow. That's more than most doctors mm -hmm. make in a year. And you get to fly airplanes all around the country. So we're looking for students who can fulfill those roles as well as roles that don't require flying. A lot of our youth in the city of Detroit are afraid of flying, but there's nothing to be afraid of. It's safer than driving a car. So come on out on Thursday evenings, see what we're doing here, get involved, choose a career, and then live a life happily ever after. Right on, brother. And with getting involved, how can people get more information? You can go to our website, tuskegeemuseum.org, or call our number, 313-849-8843. Okay, and once again, this is an opportunity that will not be there forever. That's correct. There's a window of opportunity that will close. We need you to come out and get involved and have a successful career in aviation or aerospace science. All right, Dr. Smith, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Once again, the Tuskegee Airmen National Museum is here on the Choice East side at the city airport, Hangar 13, Hangar 14, and you can come learn much more and find a new career if you are a young person interested. On the Choice East side, Josh Landon. Our thanks to Josh yeah, Landon for that report. Indeed. Now, who knew pilots made half a million dollars a year? Yeah, some of them, you know, are up there. And and I, I would like a lot of people, the takeaway, for, a big takeaway for me is that flying is actually safer uh, than driving. I think that's a, a great point to make because a lot of people, you know, there's a fear of flying, you know, and, you know, just like there's a fear of the, of the water, if you will. But flying has always been deemed uh, to be much, much safer than getting behind a car. So I hope that may, you know, be a factor in these young people deciding to get into aviation. But our, our mayor, one of our great mayors, our infamous mayors here uh, in Detroit, Mayor uh, Coleman Young, um, he was a Tuskegee Airman. So mm -hmm. that rich history has always been a part of Detroit's history, not just with these museums and programs, but we, we had a mayor for over 30 years who was a Tuskegee Airman. So you couldn't help but to know and understand, you know, that entire movement and how incredibly uh, intelligent and fierce and how how much they persevered not just um, with discrimination as they walked down the street as civilians but also you know as as military personnel uh, they they face so much as well and it just blows my mind what they were able to overcome and that's why I'm so glad that, that we're doing this special today mm -hmm. to really shine a light on the black soldier that's because, right. you know, that, that sort of double consciousness that Langton, Langston Hughes wrote so beautifully about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's real for us. It's, it's been real for us historically. It's still real right now. And so I'm just really glad we can go to the Tuskegee Museum. There's so mm -hmm. many great museums here in the greater Detroit area. A lot of people think of the Motown Museum, which is, which is great, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, they may not know about the Tuskegee uh, Museum and the opportunity to, to check that out. And, but it's also great to see, you know, that uh, businesses in the area uh, are having a bit more skin in the game mm -hmm. when it comes to investing in museums like this and opportunities for young people. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, some of the violence that's, that's plaguing cities across the country, right? Uh, and what's going on with our young people? Well, are you investing in our young people? Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's good to see that there are some businesses that are stepping up to do exactly that. And the level awareness of programs uh, like this. All right, so on this Memorial Day, we are paying a visit to the Black Heritage Museum of Arlington. That's right, their exhibits and programs teach about the history and achievements of African-Americans in Arlington and Northern Virginia communities. Right here, we are looking at the African-American Heritage Water Trail. On an unusually warm winter day, we meet historian Lillian Holden along the banks of the Little Calumet River, a waterway that flows through hundreds of years of African-American history. It is a 12-mile long water trail that covers at least two centuries worth of history, ranging from the Underground Railroad, the Civil Rights Movement, the birth of the Environmental Justice Movement. In warmer weather, the conservation group Open Lands conducts tours of the history trail by boat. Every summer um, we have a series of um, river um, engagements to um, uh, interpret the history that is associated with the African American Heritage Water Trail. And a big piece of that history is right here where a marker has been placed at the corner of 134th Place and St. Lawrence. We are standing on the Tan Farm site which is a part of the 
underground railroads. The Tons were a Dutch immigrant family who owned a farm on the banks of the Little Calumet. Their house became an important stop on the Underground Railroad, hiding and harboring African Americans fleeing slavery in the South. I'm a retired sergeant with Chicago Police Department. Ronald Gaines owns Chicago's finest marina, which now sits on the site of the Ton family farm. He says slaves seeking freedom would be taken in covered wagons to Chicago and then onto Detroit so they could escape into Canada. Even though we don't think of slavery as an issue in Chicago or up north, but you had to be out of the United States to be actually free. So you had to leave the home of the free to be free. To get to the Ton Farm, African-Americans would cross the Little Calumet River here, near the Indiana Avenue Bridge. Abolitionist George Dalton, who founded the nearby village bearing his name, operated a ferry that carried the fleeing slaves across the river. Heading west, the historic water trail passes through the village of Robbins, one of the oldest incorporated black communities in the United States. In 1931, Robbins opened the first black-owned airport and flight school, which led to some of the country's most famous war heroes. It was a pathway to um, some uh, uh, pilots who have flown uh, as Tuskegee Airmen during World War II. And for one more piece of African-American history, let's go back to Ronald Gaines Marina, which has been on this site for decades and provided a home for black boaters who were often excluded from other boat clubs. And so people come out and, and enjoy and see the south side of Chicago, see the beauty and and what we have to offer out here as well. Does it always look this nice? No, it has not always looked this nice. Adela Bass is a community organizer who's helping to restore the little Calumet. She grew up in the Alcal Gardens public housing project, steps from the river, and remembers when this old landfill was still in use, leaching poison into the water. We call it the um, the, the hills of toxicity. Now, with the Heritage Water Trail designation, the little Calumet is coming back to life. It's a place within a place. Um, it separates you from the inner the, the city life and, and gives you a, a taste of nature. And brings to life two centuries of Chicago black history. Two centuries yeah. of Chicago black history. I mean, Courtney, you know, who knew that the Underground Railroad also went through Chicago and Detroit? Where I think a lot of people think about the Underground Railroad as going mm -hmm. along the East Coast, through Philadelphia, into Canada that way. Um, and so I, I love that, that, you know, they are revealing that part of history uh, for us. But you remember when the brother in this piece said, you know, that our folks had to leave the home of the free to be free. Mm. Uh, and it's just a, a, a stunning reminder of how far we've come, but also how much we have to lose. You know, we don't get a grip on uh, some of the uh, the happenings yeah. uh, that are occurring right now in our country. Yeah, and a lot of these Midwest cities, for the for the Southern folks, we'd be up north, but a lot of these Midwestern cities, you, you're right, played an intricate part in the Underground Railroad, in, railroad in particular, um, Buffalo, with mm -hmm. its proximity to Canada, yeah. uh, you know, as far as those taking that route to freedom, if you will. But, you know, just the knowledge and the awareness, or lack thereof, I spent a lot of time in Chicago, and I had no idea about the history of the Little Calumet. And I lived right along because it, it just runs throughout the suburbs of, of uh, and on into the uh, Northwest Indiana. Uh, and I lived in those areas and I had no idea. I used to, you know, you know, be in your car and just write, and it's just another, you know, body of water, but who knew the significance and the depth of, of what that body of water meant and continues to, to mean. So, you know, when we take a moment to just breathe and have days like this to remember and also gain some perspective and some, some, some further knowledge of things that kind of like are right there in front of mm -hmm. our face. It's so interesting to me. Sometimes some of the best history is hiding in plain sight. That's right, that's right. There's more to come on this special Memorial Day edition of Foxhole's Black Report. That's right, we'll introduce you to those responsible for a new veterans monument honoring both fallen and living soldiers. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. We'll be right back.
The African American Veterans Monument has been proposed to recognize the service and sacrifice of African American veterans dating back to the Revolutionary War in 1775. There is no monument anywhere in the nation that honors them all at the same time. From our research, we found out this type of monument will be the first in the country. That's overdue. It should have been done 200 years ago. Too many people were left out of history books. We're correcting a situation where information is, is missing. It's uh, important for children to know the history of all people in, the, in this United States. This is the home for it. It's a piece of military history that needs to be talked about. The Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park is the place to do that. The monument is an approximately 1,200 square foot area with 12 concrete cylinders that represent candles. Mothers would place candles in the window when their soldiers had gone off to war. These pillars represent those candles. Walking through the monument, you can not only experience the times of conflict, but you can experience the times of peace as well. Oh, it's gonna make me feel proud. I didn't get that ticker tape parade when I came back from Nam. And this will be my version of my ticker tape. There's going to be a teaching instrument for those that follow behind me. They will not be denied history as I was when I was growing up. All of us in Buffalo and Western New York should support this monument. Everybody should support this. The best thing we can do as Americans is understand our history. And I think if we understood that a lot better than we do, there would not be as much separatism and racism as there is. And so the more history we know, the better off we are as a people. And that beautiful African-American veterans monument you just saw there debuted to the public less than a year ago in Buffalo, New York. Here to talk more about the importance of this monument and how we soulmates can support it is Warren Galloway and Robin Hodges. Thank you both so much for being here and thank you first so much for your service. Thank you. Nice for being here. Indeed. Well, let me start, Warren, by saying I've been to Buffalo. I've walked the memorial. It is absolutely breathtaking. I think it should be a national park, but we're going we're gonna to work towards that. Let's uh, start by talking about the origin, uh, the story behind the monument. We know it was unveiled in September of 2022, but how did this all start? This all started with a community meeting that was called by the Assemblywoman Crystal Peoples, uh, the majority leader of the New York State Assembly. She called some people together. We formed this committee about seven years ago. We've been meeting ever since. And based on that meeting, we came up with a budget, a design, and a way to raise the money. And on September 24th of 2022, we were able to unveil it. Amazing, Robin. When you when you were part became a part of this board uh, with the Veterans Monument, uh, what was the most exciting part of uh, orchestrating this this tribute and, and making sure this monument was erected? The most exciting part for me is that um, to be just a part of history, um, to be working with so many wonderful historians and researchers and sociologists who helped to pull all of the information together. I learned so much working on this entire project and I'm still learning. Absolutely, Warren or Robin, talk to us uh, a little bit more in detail about the design and the concept behind the monument. Like I said, I've walked it and it is absolutely breathtaking. It's right off the water and it really does take your breath away. No, uh, we. I think we'll both answer this question. The monument was basically designed based on meetings. Mm -hmm. You know, we were trying to come up with an idea of building a monument, and in many times, you know, you have a soldier with a weapon, and we understand that a lot of us were veterans. If you have an M16, that basically interacts with Vietnam. Then you people want to know about how are you going to honor the women. So the more research we did, then we figured out and we found out that many people don't realize that African Americans participated in every war that this country has been in. Indeed. And one of the designs came up with these columns and the committee really thought this would help answer the questions. And 
then we just decided to go with this idea with columns, ideas of brick pavers with African-American veterans' names on it. And then we realized that there was more than just a need to honor veterans, but there was a need to educate the community, educate people about the impact and the participations that African-Americans did. Yeah, Robin, your, your take on, on the design and the detail and your, your, your perspective on that journey? The design, um, there are 12 pillars, as Warren has alluded to, each representing one of the 12 campaigns that African-Americans have fought in, starting with the Revolutionary War. And each pillar is positioned according to the longitude and latitude coordinates of when and where each war took place. Mm -hmm. And the space in between the pillars represent peacetime. They also represent candles. Candles were burned in Beautiful. windows when servicemen were away at war and their families put candles in the windows as a beacon to lead them home. So the pillars actually light up at night. Beautiful. Reminds me of a song. The lyric says, keeping a light shining in the window. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. So, Robin, how has the response uh, been uh, since the public uh, uh, unveiling? Uh, since the unveiling, what has the response been from the public? The response has been good. We would like to have um, a bigger response because I don't think that many people across this country know about this monument. Um, this monument is for all African-American veterans that have served this country, not just Buffalonians, not just um, veterans who are deceased. This is a monument, which means it's for both living and deceased. I, as you alluded to, am a veteran, and so I do have a brick, as you're looking at right now, mm. as part of the foundation of the monument, which the interior portions are made in the shape of dog tags. Yeah, Warren, you know, talk to us about how we can also uh, continue to support uh, the monument and, and help bring about some awareness. Well, I think the first thing is just uh, talk about it and share the information. But also at the same time, you know, the monument is where, you know, we are selling brick pavers. And these pavers are for families or friends to to basically buy one and put a name of an African-American veteran or, or, or active duty soldier uh, on it. And there'll be a permanent di di display. So whenever they come to visit, they will be able to, to find their brick and in honor of their uh, veteran that they bought the brick for. But this monument, as you talked about at the beginning, we are working very hard to make this not only a Buffalo Parks um, monument, you know, location, we're trying to make it a national landmark. That's right. We feel that this type of monument should be a national land, a landmark and to bring the, raise the issue of what African-Americans did in the war. Because people got to understand, we fought two wars. Not only did we have to fight the enemy of America, but then when we came home, we had to fight the enemy of racism in his own country. So we are very proud of the education component of this because we think that this will help people understand the magnificent involvement that African-Americans did in this country. Absolutely, and I'm inviting all of my uh, fellow native Detroiters to, to, to make a road trip on up to uh, Buffalo, New York, and definitely uh, partake in this monument. Robin Hodges and Warren Galloway, thank you so much for joining us on this special Memorial Day edition of Foxhole's Black Report. Again, thank you so much uh, for your service. We will definitely be in touch. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Wowie kazowie. I was just in Buffalo not too long ago. I was getting my, my passport That's renewed, right. remember? I remember. Uh-huh. Well, it won't be too long till I'm right back there in check this Buffalo out. to check this out. I'm yeah. telling you, that looked incredible. It's beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. Uh, congratulations to everybody who was a part of that. Coming up, we continue to honor the sacrifice of black service members. How the 6888 Battalion made history and how they're being honored today. So mates, we will be right back. The House passed a bill to award the Congressional Gold Medal to the 6888 Central Postal Director Battalion. 
The battalion was made up of 855 African-American women sent to England to serve during World War II. They delivered mail to soldiers overseas, clearing a two-year backlog. They're only believed to be about seven surviving members, including retired Army Major Fannie McClendon. She joined the Army when she was just 19 years old. She then later joined the Air Force, where she was the first female commander of an all-male squadron with the Strategic Air Command. And you know, there's one nonprofit organization built to elevate the public education education around the unique history of black veterans in the U.S. Their name is the Black Veteran Project. And here to talk more about their efforts is their co-founder, Richard Brookshire. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report, brother. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And so tell us about the Black Veterans Project and why your mission is more important now than ever. Yeah, so the project, it turns five actually in November and I still have to pinch myself sometimes when I think about the fact that five years has passed. And for the vast majority of that time, we've been focused on research, uh, looking at racial disparities in the allocation of veterans benefits, understanding that there's also been a long legacy of benefit obstruction, kind of really starting um, at the turning point of uh, uh, following World War II, uh, when black vets didn't get equal access to the education and housing benefits that so many that so many white veterans were were afforded and helped to really bolster the building of the white American middle class. And you go into the Vietnam era and the uh, the proliferation and disproportionality of bad paper discharges. And even today, a recent report came out about uh, four or five months ago by the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center that showed that uh, black veterans who serve today are still 1.5 to 2.3 times more likely to get out of the military and not have access to their benefits, which are housing, education, vocational training, healthcare, disability compensation, these things that can give black vets a pathway to the middle class. And so this project is really about reckoning with that, about forcing some accountability about around that, and really uh, about envisioning a case for repair. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and, and speaking of repair, internal documents from the Department of Veterans Affairs shows that black veterans are much less likely to get approved for benefits for conditions like PTSD. Can you tell us what restorative justice looks like for black vets should your lawsuit against the VA succeed? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is uh, transparency. I think that black vets for many decades have known that there had been discrimination in uh, their access to equitable care um, and benefits under the VA. And so much uh, of what this work through Black Veterans Project has been is, is about getting our hands on the real figures, uh, wanting to make sure that there is a reckoning with history in a, in a real way and a preservation of that history, especially at a time when we know that history History is under attack. Uh, this lawsuit is really trying to clear a path for black vets to be able to sue the VA uh, should they feel as though they've uh, been subjected to racial discrimination and have a pathway to be able to get compensated for that, uh, to be able to have their records reviewed, to be able to have uh, their, their benefits extended to them and or their descendants, right? And it's a, a complicated and not certainly not an easy process, but we are fortunate enough to have uh, established a very deep collaboration with Yale Law School, one of the best law schools in the country uh, was uh, an incredible veterans legal clinic that that uh, hopefully they'll be able to come on at some point and speak more in depth about the legal case. And you know, the Black Veterans Project, you know, y'all fight for veterans like Conley Monk Jr., a Vietnam vet who's been denied his benefits for nearly 50 years. How common do black vets like Monk fall between the cracks? And is the Biden-Harris administration doing anything to address this? Yeah. It it's more common than most folks think. And I think that part of what came out of our FOIA efforts, which took several years, it took three years to try to get the VA to be transparent about what it knew, right? And one of the biggest disparities that we were able to find was actually around PTSD, which Conley Monk suffers from. Um, and uh, black vets were uh, uh, experiencing almost a 30% greater denial rate for access to uh, disability compensation for PTSD, right? And these are thousands and thousands of dollars that you can receive every every month, right, on top of a, a host of other uh, 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 benefits. And so Conley's story, I think, is emblematic, but it's certainly not unique. Uh, and Conley's, uh, I think I'm following in his footsteps and standing on the shoulders of many black vets who have been ad advocating and pushing for this kind of work for many, many, many decades. Uh, and he's been working with Yale Law School uh, since the 90s, helping black vets and white vets who were uh, unjustly blocked out of their benefits 
gain access to those benefits. Um, but all the while, he didn't have access access to it himself. In our remaining minutes, I've got to ask you, you know, Representative Cory Bush recently introduced a resolution on reparations for black Americans. Uh, we certainly have been reporting on the movement around reparations right here on Fox Hole's Black Report for quite a while now. Why did the Black Veterans Project participate in the Capitol Hill press briefing about this bill? And what difference would this bill make for black veterans? Cory Bush's bill, I think, is incredibly important because it puts a numerical value that has never been introduced on the on the Hill before, saying that there is a racial wealth gap that needs to be contended with. It is a byproduct of a long legacy of very intentional race-based policies that have uh, created and fostered an economic landscape that has been fundamentally unfair for black folk. So that's why we participated. But more importantly, one of the bills that we are very much in, in staunch support of is the GI Bill Restoration Act, which was a bill that was originally introduced last Congress by Cong uh, Congressman Clyburn and Moulton, um, and also supported by Senator Warnock and reintroduced this past February uh, in this Congress. And that looks to give uh, descendants of black World War II veterans who lost out on billions and billions of dollars in uh, economic uh, mobility and, and uh, economic prosperity over the generations because they didn't get access to VA home loans, they didn't get equitable access mm -hmm. to education benefits, and, and, and we're very much in part and parcel to, to wanting to see that a bill like that pass. And where can people go quickly to follow the Black Veterans Project and support the movement that you're leading? Thank you. You can visit us at www.blackveteransproject.org. You can follow us on social, Black Veterans Project on Instagram, Black Vet Project on Twitter. Um, you can keep up with me, Rich Brookshire, on, on, on Instagram. Uh, you can you know, continue to hopefully watch this show. So uh, I'll make another appearance and give you all some updates. Our thanks to you, Richard Brookshire, co-founder of the Black Veterans Project. Happy Memorial Day, brother. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah, the good, wonderful work that they're doing. Big ups to them. All right, we wish them all the best. Still ahead, it's a high-flying legacy. That's right. When we return, we remember the last Tuskegee Airmen in Illinois. You're watching a special Memorial Day edition of Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to this special Memorial Day edition of Foxhole's Black Report. Oscar Lawton Wilkerson Jr. was the last living Tuskegee Airman at 96 years old. Wow, his family says he began his Tuskegee training just 10 days after graduation. In 2007, he was among about 300 surviving members of the Black Aviation Combat Unit and was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. Wilkerson passed of natural causes, and today we honor him. They always wanted to fly since uh, being quite young, used to build model airplanes. It was a dream that became reality for Oscar Lawton Wilkerson Jr., the last known surviving Tuskegee Airman from the state of Illinois. He wouldn't brag about his intelligence, but if you spent some time talking with him, you would suddenly realize how smart he was. A graduate of Bloom High School in Chicago Heights, he passed the training program for the Air Force. He was trained to fly the B-25 bomber right after World War II in the country's first black aviation combat unit, but never flew during combat. He served in other positions and was given an honorable discharge. When Wilk got out of the service, he applied to all the airlines and they all refused him. He even received a letter from one of them saying, well, we, at this time, we are not hiring Negroes. Born in 1926, that experience of racism wasn't new to the man affectionately called Wilk. We had segregation back in Chicago Heights where I was born. Wilk became the vice president of the Dodo Birds Chicago chapter, named after the extinct bird that can't fly, but Wilk never allowed societal woes to ground his plans. He owned a Cessna 172. He studied in Chicago and New York and became a freelance photographer. He was an insurance agent, the first black driver for South Suburban Safeway Lines, a radio host, and a program director. 
he would take the time to teach the next generation uh, what they needed to know so that they could d display excellence too. A devoted Christian, Wilkerson spent 18 years as a member of Hillcrest Baptist Church in Country Club Hills. The veteran died one day before his 97th birthday last month. His life mission was to educate children and encourage them to go into aviation. His pastor says he encouraged everyone to stay the course. Oh. A renaissance man indeed. For the ages. I mean, you know, he has mm. contributed so much to our country mm. from his distinguished service during World War II. Uh, but, you know, even just facing that discrimination after he got out of the military, you know, it's probably hard for some of our soulmates to imagine, you know, somebody coming out of the military and wanting to get a job with an airline and having airlines say, we don't hire Negroes, right? That's not that long ago. And so, you know, we can't get too comfortable, you know, with a historic first here and a historic first there. You know, we've got to keep it coming. Uh, and hopefully uh, so many more of us will take the baton uh, that he's passed to us uh, to continue the fight. And this group of extraordinary men are kind of sort of just now getting their props, the level of intelligence and, and detail and perseverance and education and training and you can go on and on and on that it took to fly an aircraft in the midst of battle and if i'm not mistaken based upon my studies uh you know and research on the tuskegee airmen they were like undefeated up in the air and they actually helped the other battalions the white battalions uh you know uh, do what they needed to do in support and and rescue and and save them in the midst of battle and their story went unsung for so long so as a culture we have to continue as we lose this generation, we have to continue to live in this legacy. But, you know, for an airline just to say, you know, no, we don't do Negroes and just dismiss, mm -hmm. just dismiss all of that, you know, intelligence and all of that know-how and what uh, that man, this man could have brought to that airline as far as know-how and maybe teach their other pilots um, was just so dismissive and just such a, uh, just disgraceful really, yeah. you know? But you know what, you know, when I think about his story, I think of folks like Omar Brock, who's been no stranger to uh, Foxhole's Black Report, mm -hmm. who is teaching kids in Georgia. That's right you know, about aviation, getting them their credentials mm -hmm. so that they might have a shot, you know, at doing the thing that uh, uh, this distinguished gentleman, yeah. this honorable, honorable Tuskegee Airmen uh, had aspired Which to Which brings the discrimination, you know, back full circle that you now have a new generation of folks, you know, living in that legacy. All right, keeping with the legacy of the Tuskegee Airmen, there's a Detroit group uh, taking young students to new heights. That's right, the Tuskegee Airmen National Museum is using a $500,000 grant to train new classes of students to become pilots. Take a look. Sun is shining in terms of the historic nature of this program. A special day at the Tuskegee Airmen National Museum at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Thanks to a federal grant worth half a million dollars, students in Detroit are given an opportunity to get a head start on a high-flying career. Our hope is that if you start with us when school is out, by the time school starts in the fall, you will have your pilot license. It's a high status after coming back to school from summer vacation. Students have the opportunity to focus in three areas of aviation, flying planes, piloting drones, and aerospace engineering. Kids as young as 10 can begin in the aerospace engineering program and start building rockets and drones. Students between 14 and 16 are taught to fly glider planes. And at 16, you can start making good money by obtaining a drone license. That means you can go out and get money from people who want you to take pictures of their buildings, uh, crops, pipelines, uh, crowds. There's a lot of first responder work using drones. So there's many opportunities and almost six-figure salaries at 18. The programs at the school are life-changing. Brandon Jones is a graduate. He grew up watching Northwest airplanes fly over his house at Seven Mile in Livernois. Now he's an instructor pilot at the Southbridge Air National Guard Base. Showing them that if you can fly an airplane, if you can solo an airplane, no matter what you go into, if you can solo at 16, 
the world is in your hands. The programs are founded on the legacy of the Tuskegee Airmen. The group of African-American military pilots fought in World War II and were the first to serve in the U.S. Armed Forces. They received praise for their excellent combat record, and now the future is bright for the upcoming generation. Detroit is the only site in Michigan selected to receive the award. We pray God's blessings upon this grant and may it be the start of something bigger and better for our children. We don't just stand on their shoulders, but we are the wind beneath their wings. I mean, this is really, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's that famous Martin Luther King quote. You know, it, it's not lost on me watching this story, you know, that there are young people that have an opportunity to do the things that, you know, folks like Mr. Wilkerson and other Tuskegee Airmen could only dream of. I mean, think about being able to get your pilot's license, you know, while you're in high school. Mm -hmm. Think about, you know, being able to, you know, have an after school job. It's not just a newspaper route, but you can mm -hmm. fly drones and get paid well. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that is absolutely incredible. And I'm just so glad to see you know, so much energy across the country, obviously right here in Detroit, but also across the country, that's encouraging young people to take a second look at having a career in aviation. And dare I say, maybe, you know, the generations thereafter, we we were the, the wind beneath their wings. Some of them did have the forethought to know and understand that they were curating a legacy that others, um, you know, after them could con con continue to uh, live in. And let me just say Northwest Airlines, I remember that. that was, I think that was before South. Northwest. That was a good deal to get you where you needed to go. <laughs> I remember Northwest Airlines. I do, All right. I do. Do I you? Do too. I do. Up next, how the power of music helped so many soldiers over the years. That's right. A descendant of Lena Horne wow. will join us to talk about music's importance, and she'll also uh, bring us a little bit of a treat. Oh, come on a now. A little vocal treat. We'll be right back, soulmate. Stay close. You're watching a special Memorial Day edition of Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, in war and in life, music has always been a way to help us heal. Many singers have performed for troops, one in particular, Lena Horn. Today, we welcome great-grandniece of Lena Horn, Kimmy Horn. We want to welcome you to Foxhole's Black Report. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor being it here is. today. It as, really is. As a native Detroiter, it's finally a, a wonderful moment to meet you. I've been watching you do what you do for years now, and you look good. And spell, oh. spell the name right, please. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and as a lover of music, and a lover of history. Mm. I have so much respect mm -hmm. for what uh, the in incomparable Lena Horne has done for our culture yes. and for our people. And so it's a great honor for both of us to sit here with you today. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. You know. So we definitely want to get into, you know, your your resume, but let's start with your beginnings, with your great, great aunt, yes. Lena Horne, talk a little bit about the connection and the influence and how you continue to live in her legacy. Oh, absolutely. Um, she is from my um, the Horne side, yeah. my dad's side, and so I'm a from a family of seven mm -hmm. and we have always um, even as a little girl you know I've always heard her voice and always listened to her music but at the time I didn't even know that we were related until mm -hmm. later on you know something how um, with history you're you're right around it all the time so sometimes you don't really embrace it mm -hmm. as much as you should until you grow up and then you mature into this into this legacy I mean from the Horn family reunion and finding out how she used to attend the reunions and whatnot, and to be able to hear her voice and see her legacy and how she's truly, she truly has been an inspiration for me as a singer. Sure. You know, I continue to carry that torch, mm -hmm. and I sound the horn about the horns everywhere I, I go, I because it, it really is a huge honor, mm -hmm. you know, and so absolutely proud to be able to carry that legacy on. Mm. And, and, and we're proud that you're here to share that legacy with us. Um, speaking of legacy, uh, part of Lena Horne's great legacy is her activism. Can you talk to us a little bit about how her activism has inspired you and other members of your family to continue to carry the torch? Absolutely. You know, I um, I launched um, my jazz festival 2016, the Kimmy Horn 
Southern Jazz Festival. And one of the reasons for launching that is because in terms of activism, I wanted to have one stage where I welcomed not only black, but a diverse, you know, um, musical family to come and share this musical legacy. And it really is, um, you know, just an honor to bring everyone in. It's a free outdoor festival, and it is something to be able to pour into the community. You know, we have fitness and fun. We have nine amazing artists. So it is something to be able to bring um, a diverse audience and for them to be able to enjoy um, without having to pay a cover charge, but bring the entire family because we have, you know, folks from 90 years old down at three years old, mm -hmm. you know, and so in terms of just plugging back into the community is so important to absolutely, me. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. And, and, and your jazz festival has been ongoing. It's very celebrated here in the Detroit area for yes. some years now. It's definitely something that uh, Detroiters and, and folks from all over really look forward to. We're inside of Memorial Day, which kicks off the summer, and we are remembering uh, the fallen soldier. Talk a little bit about um, how, you know, being a part of a holiday like this, especially with the gift that you have, the gift of music, the gift of song, how it's been healing, especially as a country, as we mourn those we've lost, in particular today, fallen soldiers, and how music has played a huge part in our healing and moving on, you know, throughout really generations. Absolutely, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head mm -hmm. because truly music is, it truly is healing, you know, and um, just um, coming up from a family, again, with that music always around. My dad was a musician. My um, uncle um, was a member of one of Motown earlier groups, the Fantastic yeah. Four. So that yeah. foundation wow. in which I stand on. You got it honest. Yeah, I got It's honest, <laughs> you know, and it's really amazing because mm -hmm. even um, at a time, you know how you try to, I try to get away from it because mm -hmm. it's just so natural. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want to do something different. I went away to school to start a journalism, as a matter of fact. Well, hey. And it came back full circle, you know, again, because standing in the studio with one of Motown legends and mm -hmm. singing, um, I listened back over the um, airways and heard my voice and I made my decision right then. It's like, you know, this is what I should be doing. And now I'm living in my purpose with mm -hmm. that music and as it is a healing thing and as it, we go into the hospitals yes. and we just make sure to um, continue to sing. And I, as I always say, sound the horn. Mm -hmm. It really is about mm -hmm. sounding the horn. I love that. You know, I mean, as we sit here today, the public health crisis known as the COVID-19 mm. pandemic is over. We'd like to think that some of the darkest days are behind us. Um, you know, what what memories mm. uh, do you have from the pandemic that are powering your work forward? There are a lot of us that said, you know, once we get out of this thing, yeah. I'm going to show up differently. We outside. You know, yes. <laughs> you know on, on this Memorial Day, as we're obviously thinking about our soldiers, but we're thinking about a lot of folks yes. uh, who've left us too soon. Yes. You know, as that time hit us, and uh, so many of us, I mean, it, it really took us in a place to where we had to really look at ourselves and see and decide what we were gonna do or how we were going to go on. Um, you know, I launched, for my own sanity, I launched a one-woman show called The Rhythm Room. And this was something that I was one-on-one -on -one and singing to the audience through Facebook and through social media, um, just again, to be able to not just heal other people, but heal myself. Mm -hmm. And it started here. It was like my personal prayer room. So I think that giving back and continuously singing and continuously doing hymns, it's, it saved me. And yeah. I think that through saving yourself, as they say in the airplane, you put the mask on yourself mm -hmm. first before, before you can, can save anyone else. Right. And I think that that was profound. I mean, I got so many amazing, so much feedback, mm -hmm. you know, about that and how that helped people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it just helps me to continue yeah. to, um, you know, sing and do my thing. For those watching uh, today for this uh, Memorial Day uh, special celebration, the holiday gathering, tuning into uh, Fox News Black Report, just learning about Kimmy Horn. Mm. Of course, I'm a native, so I know mm -hmm. the high-powered performance that you give. And let me tell you, Soulmates, it's all about the legs. So whether you're going to have to <laughs> look her up or a, a, maybe a YouTube video of past performances, oh. or if you're in Detroit, you can catch her at uh, 
your, your jazz festival, upcoming jazz festival. Yeah. Talk about how you keep all that energy uh, going and keep that audience just absolutely captivated. That's really what you're known for is your yes. in-person live performances. Yes. They are amazing. Oh, thank you so you're much. You're welcome Ms. so much. You know, thank you. I know. You know, it, um, I pride myself on that. You know, I've been singing now professionally for just over 30 years. And I've had the great fortune of performing all around the world. I mean, in front of um, 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 ambassadors, in front of, um, you know, mountain owners. Mm -hmm. and, and so with that, I have, <laughs> it's just amazing sometimes, it blows me away, but I pride myself on engaging the audience mm -hmm. because I truly feel at home on stage. Yeah. It is my home. You can tell. Yeah, it is you my home. Really so tell. the energy is just, um, it's infectious. You sung in front of kings and paupers. I'm saying. <laughs> well, we are, we have a treat today. Okay. This is a major treat. Today, you're gonna sing us something to uplift us all. Mm. What are you gonna sing for us today? Um, the Negro um, anthem, the National, Black National Anthem. Okay, we'll oh, take wow. it. Oh, wow, all right, Indeed. okay. If you, if you thought Shirley Ralph rocked it out, <laughs> get ready. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are about to see greatness right before our very eyes. Absolutely, we're gonna let Kimmy get ready, Soulmates. Uh, we wanna thank you for joining us on this Memorial Day of Black Report special. Fox Souls Black Report special. For the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. Don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It is absolutely free. Now here is Kimmy Horn with a rendition of the Negro National Anthem by James Weldon Johnson. Take it away, Kimmy. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring ring with the harmony of liberty let our rejoicing rise high as a listening skies let it resound loud as a rolling sea sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought 